Hello there, MNBC Church family. It's good to be with you today for our midweek discussion as we talk about our sermon from this past week. A little different than normal, though, uh, because this week kind of had a two-part sermon. Preached first part in the morning, second part in the evening. And so we want to talk about both of those. So even if you didn't hear the evening service, you weren't here, that's okay. We'll uh, try to cover some of that and talk about that together. But we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Uncomfortable section probably, which is fine, but still a part of scripture that we need to look at. It says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he's a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let me ask you guys, have you guys ever had the opportunity to study this section in depth at all? Mm-hmm. No. no. Oh, really? Have you? Scott? I, I mean, not like in depth to preach on it, but I did that series through Philemon. Okay. Where slavery is a big subject from that. And so primarily with Colossians, though, because Colossians is uh, was understood to kind of probably be delivered at the same time with Philemon. With Philemon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I hadn't either. It was good to, to dive in um, and to, to study it. It flows with what we've been looking at, though, in Ephesians, of like husbands, wives, wives, uh, parents and children, or, or fathers and, and children, there, and now to the slave and master. I know the ESV says bond servant. Um, that word, I guess, it's like doulos or something. Doulos, yeah. Um, can mean a range of things, and so there is some freedom there for interpreters. Uh, but there's so many other places that you can go in scripture where it's interpreted as slave, and it's specifically like slave, and so. Um, I don't know if I fully agree with the ESV changing it to bond servant. Uh, I, I think the word slave is more appropriate in this section. Now, I'm I'm not as smart as those people either who translate. I'm not trying to overstep my bounds there, but <clears throat> I think when Paul is talking here, he's talking about slaves and masters. And whether that is uncomfortable for us or not, I would say it is. It's just an uncomfortable thing mm-hmm. with our history in America, even with stuff that's happened recently. Uh, with race and stuff uh, within our society. It's an uncomfortable thing to talk about slaves and masters, but yet we see here in Scripture it being talked about, and it's because it was very common in what in the places that Paul would have been writing to and would have been visiting. In Rome, there were slaves everywhere. Like I said yesterday, 5 to 30% were the numbers that I saw for the percentage of, of slaves, upwards of 30 million slaves at a time. Uh, in the land of Rome and <clears throat> um, the Roman Empire. Now, the slaves did vary. I didn't talk about this too much, but you definitely had slaves who you know, were doing menial labor, labor that people, because in the Roman Empire, if you had more money, you didn't work. Work was seen as below you, and so they would have others do the work. But this included even being doctors, lawyers. You had slaves that were in these occupations because, again, they were like, I'm not, I don't need to do that work. Someone else needs to do it for me. So you had some slaves that were very educated, uh, well-taught, 
And you had some that were treated well, I'm sure, but for the most part, it seems not treated well. I mean, when we what we think of as slavery, yes, that's what you could think of bad, um, used as property, not even seen as human, not cared about. If they die, who cares? Just go get another one. And uh, and so to us, that is a horrifying thing. But yet, Paul is talking into this relationship concerning the gospel, saying the gospel actually has an impact on this relationship too. And so, you think of the uncomfortableness, maybe as Paul is writing this to this church, that there are slaves and masters sitting together listening to this letter be read. And they are hearing what Paul is saying. And Paul addresses the, the slaves in a way to tell them, you need to obey your master, and you need to do it with fear and trembling, and you need to do it as to the Lord, and to know that you are serving your master in heaven as you serve your master. And there's no, I even had a question after church, someone come up to me and say, well, what about if the, if the master was mean does that change what Paul was saying? I said, I don't see that there. I don't see where Paul gives us gives that out. You know, same with same with husbands and wives. You don't see the out for the wife for the wife to say, stop submitting to him because he's beating you. But yet, I think we would all say it's wrong for that man to beat that woman. And because of her legality in our society today, if a, if a wife came to me and says my husband is beating me, I would say you need to take legal action against your husband. Go call the police. Let's get this right. He needs to probably go to jail. That's what needs to happen. I would say the same here, but the slave didn't have the legal right to do that, right? But that's definitely what we would say today. But Paul's saying, listen, you don't have a way out of the situation you're in as a slave. You don't. Uh, Paul couldn't get a committee in some group and let's let's go fight against Nero, who's one of the most evil men ever, and let's see if he'll change his mind and, and say no more slavery. That was a lost cause. That's a waste of his time. So what, how does the gospel then impact this relationship? Paul says that's how it handles it. As a Christian, spirit-filled believer, serve it with a sincere heart, which is very, I said in my sermon, it's a very tough pill to swallow. It's like I can grip my teeth and bear it and work hard through this maybe, but you're telling me I got to enjoy it or do it out of this. No, but that's what he calls me to do. And he says, because you are serving the Lord as you serve and then when he gets to the masters, he says the same thing to them. He says, masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, right? Knowing that the person who's your master is also their master. So what's Paul saying? He's saying the same Jesus that died for you is the same Jesus that died for that slave of yours. And so I don't know. It would have been interesting maybe to be there to think. I mean, are, are people in the congregation kind of looking around like, <laughs> that guy's a slave and he owns them. Like, what are they doing? You know, now I don't know. It had to be a tense. I would, I would think it had to have been a pretty tense moment uh, going on there. But the point that I really tried to make in the morning, and maybe you guys can talk about this, is that what we see, I think, I think what the real push is in this section is that the gospel has implications on our relationships and it impacts our relationships and it should impact them for the better all across the board. Husbands, wives, children, parents, uh, here with slaves and masters, which I think you can pull from, which we did at night, which we'll talk about a little bit, work relationships or something like that. It just, it just, the gospel works in all of those situations. And so what I, I wanted us to, I wanted us in the morning to feel the weight of the slavery word and what that means, because we can't sugarcoat it. You can't push it aside, but yet Paul's very adamant to say, God is going to save slaves too. 
and the rich all along, all, all across the board. Jesus died for all of these people, and they now serve him in their life. And so applying that to us today, I think it's just that reminder is that the gospel works everywhere, right? It doesn't have to be twisted. It doesn't have to be conformed to a certain culture to fit that culture. No, it, it will, it will work everywhere all the time. And I think we need to be reminded of that is we as Christians are a part of the victorious side and the victory is found in the gospel. Jesus said it is finished. I, I guess in our turn, I win, you know, I, I win game over. Uh, but I don't think we always act that way as Christians. It's almost like, no, we're the defeated ones just limping along until Jesus comes back. And then, and then maybe everything will be good for us. But until then we're just all blah, blah, blah. But no, the gospel continues to work for thousands of years. It's continued to, to save people. And I really think that's what needs to be pulled out of this section here. You guys agree with that or did I miss the big point? What do you think? No, I mean, I think you made a really good point. Like Spencer said, uh, we were talking earlier about how much you focused in on not getting rid of this slave-master relationship, but focusing how the gospel changes that relationship. I mean, obviously, Paul didn't think there was anything inherently sinful about being the master of a slave, but maybe how you treated them is what was sinful about that. And so showing that... It's not the slavery per se that is sinful. It's the way you treat people in that role and that that changes the relationship between you two. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Sure. Yeah, and I, I think you, you mentioned this really well, like the flow with, you know, the family structure. You see, you know, wives and husbands and then parents and children and then the next kind of, you know, order, if you will, especially within Roman society, would have been slaves, you know, as you mentioned. So that, I think it was really, really well done. I, I, I had a thought, like, I wonder if Paul, being that he was a Roman citizen, which was very difficult to become a Roman citizen unless you were born into it like he was. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if maybe if his parents owned slaves, possibly, because it, it's, you know, it seems to, that he came from a very well, well-educated family, probably very affluent um, in Tarsus, and which was a pretty thriving Greek city, um, you just wonder if that maybe he had personal experience with that. Maybe yeah. I don't know if any of the scholars that you read. Mentioned. I didn't see that come okay, across yeah. in anything, but I yeah. mean, could have. Yeah, I mean, with it being that prevalent, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking a quarter of the population right. potentially being <clears throat> yeah. held as slaves, yeah, pretty common thing to. Yeah. You know, even if they didn't know, I'm sure they he'd been around it a, a lot, mm-hmm. you know, or <clears throat> yeah, been witness to it mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, so it is a, it is uncomfortable to think about and even to discuss. And um, it doesn't mean that there's not implications. And we talked about this some in the evening. I said there are places I think you can go in Scripture because you cannot find anywhere in the Bible where it just outright comes and says, Hey, slavery is sinful. Don't allow it to be a part of any of your culture. <clears throat> but I think we can take some principles of Scripture to see slavery as we know it to be portrayed, uh, say, in our country, where we would say this is sinful, that how this is, how this is going about and how this is happening is, is sinful. And so I, I don't want to just sit here and have people be able to listen to us and say, well, you guys obviously are, are kind of for slavery, right? Like, <laughs> 
No, I don't think we would say that. I think being made in the image of God has some impacts on how you treat people, no matter what color they are, no matter how much money they have or whatever it might be. It's going to impact that. Um, the Bible over and over again tells us as Christians to be people who are kind, generous, gracious, all this stuff that really goes against the slavery that we know, right, in our country that we've heard from. You know, I had someone even after church come to me and say, I'm glad America doesn't have slavery anymore. But the fact is, that's not true. America does. I mean, we don't have it maybe of how we did back in the 1800s and stuff, but there are still children who are sold into slavery in our country all the time uh, with the sex industry and stuff. And we can turn a blind eye to it, but it's still there. Mm -hmm. And so as Christians, it is something I think is good for us to stand against. And we have a biblical basis for that. And I think it's important for us to to point that out because I don't want someone to come across as saying, well, you guys obviously were kind of pro-slavery, yeah. just done right. <laughs> That's why I think that when you're teaching on a passage like this, and that was one of the hard things about teaching in Philemon is that you really need to have like a more than just this passage view of this, like the way that people are viewed in Christian theology, that you have inherent value and worth simply by being a person. Like one of the things that came up when I was studying for the passage before this, I didn't have time in my sermon to really dive into this, but when Paul commands fathers to not provoke their children to anger, that was actually a pretty countercultural thing for Paul to say to fathers because they were seen as, you do not question my authority in the Roman culture at that time. You don't question the authority. Fathers can do whatever they want. It was pretty common practice. Just if you did not want a child, they were born and you left them as they were. Mm -hmm. That seems to be counter to what Paul's saying here in the ethic of how you view other people. There was one thing that you said in your sermon. I can't remember exactly how you phrased it. I wrote it down. I don't have my notebook with me. Is one thing that becomes really clear in the entire teaching of Scripture is that when you show that everybody, no matter what gender they are or socioeconomic status they are, they all have equal value and worth. And God, it even says at the end of this passage, there is no partiality with God. When you do that, it, it becomes really hard for you to treat them as if they do have different value. And so I remember studying for Philemon in that sermon that it's not exactly clear, and scholars are they debate whether or not Paul was encouraging Philemon to actually free Onesimus or just to receive him back as a brother in Christ. Right. But what they say is that it's kind of hard to believe that if the teaching of the church is that even slaves become your brother in Christ, it becomes pretty obvious that that kind of teaching over time erodes the foundations that slavery is built upon. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, and this is where I guess we can kind of equate it to uh, the workplace, which a lot of uh, commentators and stuff went there very quick. I felt too quick. Uh, just go straight to that. But there there are some things that we can take from this passage of slaves and masters to employee, employer. And we still see how that can be corrupted because it's a pretty simple formula. Bosses be good bosses. And workers be good workers. Respect each other, right? Treat each other well, and both of you do your job, and your work is going to be just fine. But yet, that rarely happens. We we have all these rules in place. We have to have all these systems in place within our society in order for that to actually take place. And the problem is sin, right? Employees, uh, 
after a while think maybe they deserve more. So now they want more pay or they're getting frustrated with this. And so their work starts to go down because they're not happy or, or the bosses, they go back on their word for something, right? Uh, we're going to pay you this. And they do start paying this. Well, then the business explodes, right? And they're making tons of money, but they're not caring for their employees at all. And it's just a, a greed thing or, or a selfishness thing. And so we can start to see how in our work relationships, God calls us to handle those relationships. Uh, and so this, is, this was part of the evening service uh, sermon uh, of trying to look, you know, briefly at workplace and how how it impacts us as we try to um, work. And so these were things that I kind of came up with. I'm not saying I came across this anywhere. Maybe maybe I did, but I was just trying to think of a list as a, as a Christian. How does the gospel impact my relationship with uh, people I work with, particularly uh, me and my bosses, or me and the owner, or whatever whatever it might be, right? And so, just real quick, I said, I, I think as Christians, we must work in a way where we, we really want to strive to be the best employee. We want to work hard. Um, and we do that, again, our, our motivation is to honor the Lord. And so we know we're working for the Lord, but we also want to give respect to our bosses or whatever it might be. And so people listening to this right now, working for Ford, Jeep, some bank, whatever it might be, some maybe it's some huge, huge thing, you know, and that starts to become kind of abstract, but still, I work for Ford and I want to honor that. I, they've hired me. They pay me. I want to do a good job to honor Ford, whatever that, whatever that means, right? Whatever's there. Uh, we should strive to be, be trusted at work. Um, be, you know, when they do put trust on us, we come go through with it the best that we can. Someone they know that they can trust with whatever it might be. That should be, uh, us as Christians. And then we're told to work with a sincere heart, not just a not just a paycheck, but we we work sincerely uh, for the people there. And I know it can be hard when you get into those like big organizations. Like I think about some college person right now listening to this, and they work for Amazon, right? And there's what, however many employees Amazon has, and it's this huge thing. How do how do they work with a sincere heart? Then you know would be a a good practical question maybe to try to dive into and think and but I would say well you you care for your job you again you go and you work hard you be respectful respectful to the people you're working with with the packages that you're dealing with because that's somebody's package they're going to get so treat it that way you know with care and concern and you do your best to make Amazon look good right you do your best to do that not just for the check not just for the time or whatever but you want to try to honor them in that and I think it might sound silly to a lot of people, but when we do this, we're honoring the Lord when we work, and it actually gives worth to our vocation and to our work, which Pastor Spencer, I know you're pretty big on, and you did a class. You did a class on that because people can feel like like that. I'm working for Amazon. How much worth is it? I mean, they're probably going to replace me with a robot next year. You know you know what I mean? You, you can get in this feeling, but the Bible actually speaks to us as workers in the work field that there's there actually is a lot of worth in that, right? Right, yeah. The person at Amazon may not feel like they're in a prime spot. Oh. <laughs> um, but. Uh, <clears throat> Dave, press that button. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, one of the things I think that this passage is powerful about is that slaves, by being addressed in this epistle, 
are regarded, like Scott said, as humans. Mm -hmm. We don't realize right away that's undercutting, that is subverting the slavery system right away. I'm addressing you, and he's also asking for their, he's commanding them, but he commands them the same way he commands wives, husbands, children, and parents, and the masters. So he's calling for their free uh, volition to be exercised here, to obey their masters as they would the Lord. So this is automatically giving them dignity because they've probably been thinking the only way that I have dignity is if I can become a free man or the only way I can serve the Lord is if I get out of bondage. And Paul is telling them actually the gospel finds them right now where they're at and they're in Christ. And so like uh, one of the things that happens in this has a point with our vocation is uh, Paul would say later on, or in First Corinthians, he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And eventually he says this, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord is a slave, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And so, actually, I think this highlights the fact that Paul was telling the slave, you already have value because you're in Christ. And now you're in Christ, and God has actually assigned you to be a slave. So you may feel like you're here just because of some unfortunate circumstances, but Paul has actually said elsewhere, you're here because God put you there. Now do your best. And similarly, um, as we are in our working work environment, it's one thing to say, you know, I'm here doing, trying to do my best and I want to do my best, but also to see what God is doing through my vocation. And God is actually using me um, to take care of the world. And Christ, it, Paul says that we are to remain there with God. God is actually with you at your workplace. He's using your job at Amazon to take care of the world mm -hmm. and to see the picture of not simply what should I do, but what is God doing through the vocations um, in all sorts of spheres of life. I think that that gives dignity to the workplace and it's actually a lot more exciting than, um, than simply a list of do's or don'ts. It's now about what is God doing through me and using my vocation um, to take care of the world and as part of his purposes. And that gives even the slave dignity that gives the worker at Amazon dignity. And uh, that's a dignity that no one can take from you because it's given by God in Christ. I'm glad you read that passage in first Corinthians. What was it? First Corinthians, what? Seven, 17 yeah. through 24. Yeah. I came across that quite a bit too. in my studies of that passage, but <laughs> a crazy thing for us to think of Paul saying, right? Whatever station you find yourself, stay in it. Right. It's not. It, he's not even like encouraging them to go live a better life today. Right. Right. God has done this for you now. Now that your worth is more, go prove it out in the world. Right. It's not. It's where you're at. Are you a farmer? Keep farming. Right. Right. Are you a carpenter? Keep doing that. Right. In this case, if you're a slave, don't feel you have to get out of that to have worth. Right. Right. That's exactly it. And it's amazing to think how Paul would, because so often in the church today, we don't hear that message. Mm -mm. We actually hear something very different in a lot of uh, 
in a lot of Protestant churches that the teaching actually is if you are the person you are supposed to be in Christ, you will climb the ladder. You will become better off here. And it's a very sad thing to hear because the Bible actually speaks very differently uh, there. And so what we have then is you have a lot of people who are never satisfied in their job ever, as even as Christians, because they think they're not giving any value to the kingdom of God or they don't have enough faith to make it to be the boss or the owner. They never took this chance, whatever it might be. And it's sad because the Bible tells us something very different, that you have worth in the spot you are and keep doing it because you actually are serving God in that as you do that. Yeah, and the tendency in 1 Corinthians, part of that with related to marriage, related to uh, so many other issues. They right, because you had a problem. I'm sorry to no, cut you, ahead, but you, there was a problem that Paul was addressing, if I remember right, and that is you had people becoming Christian, but their spouse, spouse wasn't, and they're right. like, well, this gives us reason to leave. And he's right. saying, no, 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 no. Right. And the concern was... <laughs> I'm going to be defiled by unbelievers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Am I going to be defiled if I'm married to an unbelieving spouse and I become a Christian? Am I defiled by them now? And Paul says, on the contrary, you're actually sanctifying them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and similarly, the slave was thinking, because in order for me to really serve Christ, I need to become free. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Actually, you have been put there, and you didn't decide to put yourself there. God has assigned you that place, and he's actually sanctifying you and your vocation to sanctify your master, mm -hmm. yeah. to sanctify everything you do. That takes faith to see. And like Paul says, if you can get your freedom, go for it. Take the providential opportunities sure. God brings your way. But also, don't, at least in that instance in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, don't overstress about it either. And, mm -hmm. and don't think that your worth is less than because you're a slave. Actually, you're a freedman in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And if you're a freedman, you're a slave of Christ. Yeah. So again, the leveling mm -hmm. aspect of our of our equality in yeah. Jesus Christ. I think you said it really well with our culture, you know, and, and even, I mean, the prosperity gospel is very subtle. You know, we, we tend to think of it in terms like all oh, the, the kind of extreme cases, like the name it, claim it. But the reality is there's a lot kind of subver subversive, you know, kind of under the radar prosperity gospel teaching going on. You know, this idea, like you said, Tim, you know, if, 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 you know, we we are we're, we're called to be blessed so we need a better uh, better job you know or i've i've even heard people say to me as a pastor like you know what i'm just not happy in my marriage so i think i married the wrong person mm. you know and so there's this mentality of like there's always you know i mean like the Joel Osteen kind of mentality you know your best life now mm -hmm. and it's like that's very different than what the new right. testament teaches and what right. the gospel's all about you know so yeah. You know, I think as Christians, we like to talk about the sovereignty of God, and really, no matter where you're at, you'll you'll hear the sovereignty of God talked about, and mm -hmm. God's plan. But we always, it seems very prevalent that we act like God's actual plan is for us to be better, and I'm messing that up right now. Hmm. And Paul's talking about that kind of a different way. It's like actually, you're exactly where God wants you hmm. right now. And he's, he's, he, the gospel has now come into your life where you are, mm -hmm. saved your soul and shown you how much mm -hmm. God loves you and has given you worth right there at that moment right? as whatever it is you are. And don't, we need to stop thinking that way, you know, of advance. And again, but again, advancement's not wrong because Paul says, if you can gain your freedom, go ahead. And so we're not, you know, 
we're not saying that either. Yeah, I th- I think too. There's a there's a nuance to that because I mean, like what you said, like we think sometimes that like if if we do this, then we will advance, we'll climb the ladder, and I think that actually might be true in some sense, but not because God gives that to you as a blessing. But that, if you look into the world, that tends to be the natural consequence of a person who is living this out. <laughs> yeah, someone who's trusted, yeah. who's the best worker. If you're trying to be trustworthy, <laughs> if you are respectful of your employer, if you yeah. are there on time, yeah. if you treat other people mm-hmm. the way you would want to be treated, whether it's an Amazon package that you're delivering, whatever, or it's uh, helping a coworker on yeah. the line, or I don't know how or that Or you're works. a lawyer or whatever. Yeah, that tends to happen to people who yeah. are living in mm-hmm. this, not because it's a blessing of God, but it's just the way our world works. Well, it's the way God's ordered the world and it's how it functions at its best yeah and so a good boss is going to recognize our place is better with a worker like you yeah Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) yeah and i think also one of the things it takes too is it reorients what we think a good work is Mm -hmm. because the slave here or like like a lot of people at amazon right i'll use the amazon guy again i'm not really serving the lord because this isn't really a good or holy work i'm just moving packages Mm mm-hmm Similarly, the slave, right? If theoretically, like you mentioned, some of them worked in mines. If you're yeah. a Christian slave and all I do is labor away in this mine all day, well, how I can't go and, and serve the Lord and become an evangelist like mm-hmm. Timothy or, you know, an apostle like Paul. I just, this is all I do. Well, actually, the gospel says that's a good work. And actually, in God's eyes, it's just as valuable as everything Paul was doing. Because you're equal in God's sight. You're you're being faithful where God has put you. Mm-hmm. So it actually again gives dignity and um and and faith in Christ because Christ is present in our union with him. Everything we do is now holy. That is good. That is a good work. It's not sin. Everything that we do that's good, if we are in Christ, is now holy because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And he sanctifies everything that we do that's good. And it's like, so even digging in the mine becomes a holy thing now. It, doing everything that's that's not sin becomes holy for the Christian worker yeah. in whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then and Paul says that in Thessalo- uh, Thessalonians, you know, I've, evidently there was this, in the church of Thessalonica, there was this idea like, well, we don't need to work. We're just going to wait for Christ right. to come back. And Paul says, no, don't. Look at, you know, look at Proverbs, look at the slothfulness, you know, work with your hands, you Mm -hmm. know, and I remember when we were in Jerusalem, um, uh, let's see, 2009, we worked with a a friend that Angie went to to Moody with, and she was doing mission work there, and she said there's tons of Christians or a handful of Christians that would come from all over the world you know, Africa, you know, Eastern Europe, and they would just come to Jerusalem and they would just wait for Jesus to come back. They didn't Mm. work. They didn't, you know, engage in society. They just were like, we're going to wait for Christ to return because we know he's going to come back here. And therefore they were just inactive. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, and that, that was evident, evidently that was going on in, in the church of Thessalonica. Thessalonica, Paul's like, you gotta, you gotta, you know, work. It's good. Yeah. It's good for you to use your hands and labor. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we have a few minutes uh, left. I wanted to get to the last point because I think it it got brought up in a lot of the uh, studying that I did. Because the the question does have to come out, right, is why doesn't Paul say, masters, stop having slaves, right? Or or why don't we see this campaign being done to to end slavery or some other social cause within Scripture? Why doesn't the Bible just come right out and and say these things? Uh, which we think seem to be so obvious. 
And so then how does the church respond today and what's the role of the church? And it, it comes down to the difference between the role of the church versus the role of individual Christians. And I don't know if I did the best job Sunday night. I tried um, to show the difference because I think that can get confusing for people because they would say, um, I, we are the church. The individuals make up the church. And so how can you say there's a difference between the role of the church and individual Christians? Because I think the answer to why didn't Paul just outright do this is because that wasn't Paul's role. The, the role that God had given Paul as an apostle was to go and to make disciples and to plant churches. And so that's what we see Paul doing. He's going to different towns. He's trying to raise up men to be pastors and elders. And he's establishing these churches and trying to train them in the way of the Lord and to show them like we're reading here in Ephesians, like how to live, how does this affect our relationships then or whatever. This was Paul's task. And it's the same task that the church has today. We are called as the church to be sharing the gospel and to be making disciples and then to teach people how to live according to the word of God, teaching them and training them in the word of God. Then how that plays out, as the church does that faithfully, individual Christians will come from those churches and go out into the mines, into the being a lawyer, working at the grocery store, whatever it might be. And then the gospel has an impact in their life in a way that it affects their relationships. And it also change, it affects their worldview to where now they have a biblical worldview. And so they, as Christians, we are now hopefully seeing people differently than we did before we were Christian. We're seeing them with worth, with value, somebody created by God. Uh, somebody may be completely lost in sin and in the bondage and grips of sin, but we know as Christians that they need to hear about Christ before they could ever be freed from this bondage. And so instead of maybe having hate for people who disagree with us, instead we have this compassion for them. We want them to know the love of our Savior. And so as individual Christians go out and do that, it is going to result in individuals maybe taking a stand against slavery, individuals taking a stand against abortion today or um homosexuality or some of the gender thing or whatever the hot button topic is in our society at all times. Uh, like right now, as we do this, there's a, a war in Ukraine and maybe there's individual Christians who are struggling with that. And they're like, we got to do something about this. And so they're trying to do whatever they can about it, which I think all of us in this room would say, great individual Christians, you go and do this, but don't start to think that that's the role of the church. So maybe you guys can help me explain a little better the difference between the role, you know, the church versus the individual. Because I would, I, I think some might say, well, it still is the role of the church. It's just the individuals as they go out and do what the church does, you know. So maybe explaining that better. Yeah, I think going back to the doctrine of vocation is really helpful because every single person, the doctrine of the idea of vocation is the idea that we all have different callings or we're all placed in different, we we all have different uh, hats in a sense that we wear. We have the hat in the, as in the sense of there's different realms or spheres. We have the realm of like government or the state. We have the realm of our workplace. We have the realm of our family and we have the realm of our church. And we all wear different hats. 
So, right, we're pastors. So in the in our calling in the church, we are not only Christians, but we have been called to also be pastors in the church. But that's not the only calling we all have. We also have callings in government as citizens. We have a calling in our families as as sons and as fathers and as husbands and then so on and so on. And so I think what we're saying is the Christian has multiple different callings. In our calling as simply as the church, which is one of our callings, which is the highest calling of, of a Christian is to be a part of the church, that our, our specific hat, when we're wearing the, the role of being in, in the church, our job is not to do um, government policy or social issues. However, I have a calling as a citizen, and I do have the appropriate, uh, one of my jobs as a citizen is to help make the, the commonwealth better for all of us. And if I see an injustice, it is totally appropriate and good that in my calling as a citizen, I go and try to promote that change, or in my family, or at the workplace. But to say that I should do that in my calling as a citizen doesn't mean that I should do that in my calling in the church. Just because there's a problem in the world doesn't mean the church ought to do something about it. There's a lot of problems. There's, you know, some people are upset about, um, you could be upset about the uh, the nuclear arsenal in the world. Well, does that mean that MNBC should start a, pro- a campaign to eliminate nuclear weapons from the world? Well, I think you can disagree or agree or wherever you're at on that policy issue, but that's for you to figure out in your calling as a citizen not in our calling as a church. And so we have a very definite and specific calling. So going back to Paul, Paul didn't talk about programs like abolish. He wasn't like starting an abolitionist movement because that wasn't part of his job as an apostle. He may have thought that as a citizen or whatever, or even worked for that as a citizen, but in his job as an apostle, his calling, it was just to preach the gospel. I don't know if I'm making sense, but that's that's yeah. how I think about it. I was going to bring something up, and I, you did talk about this. I can't remember if it was in the evening or in the morning. You were, I, it must have been the evening because you were talking about when Jesus addressed the people that they, the poor will always be among you, right? And so the church's role is not to eradicate poverty because we know that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that's not going to happen. Um, I mean, if I put myself in Paul's shoes when he's writing this, why would Paul not try to abolish slavery and dave you brought out like it was even possible that growing up paul did have slaves as part of his household you said in your sermon that 30 percent up to 30 percent of the population of rome were slaves it probably wasn't even conceivable to paul that that would happen ever i mean it wasn't their their economic system would collapse without that and so it's not that kind of thought probably didn't even enter into his mindset but not just because of that but you put yourself in Paul's shoes, there's bigger fish to fry. You have a bigger problem if you are without Christ than just the fact that you are a slave to someone. Um, and you even you know, brought up like, we can feed you, we can give you all this, but your, your bigger problem is that you are without Christ. And so uh, one of the things, I was reading, reading an article this morning that the church keeping its mission clear of proclaiming the gospel to a lost world and viewing the world in those lens, it, through that lens, not the lens of social of social issues or through politics, it really protects the gospel message. It makes sure that we're keeping it clear and understandable, and we don't confuse it with social action 
and things like that. And so I just think Paul saw that this slave has a bigger problem than the fact that he's a slave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus is a good example of it too. If anybody came to earth and could have abolished slavery, it was him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who could have done a lot of things in society and changed a lot of stuff. It was him. But yeah, he came what to, to die. He, he came to die for our sins because that was the problem. And so we have the, we have the God man on earth and his task is to deal with our big our big problem. And then when he leaves, the commission that he gives the church is to keep doing this work. Tell the people, tell people who I am and and what I can do for them. Right? That's the task that the church has that must go forward and be set forth. Uh, but sadly, a lot of churches get distracted by other good things. I, like I think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? We learn in there that it's good to help people out who are hurting. But that's not that's not the task of the church. It's a task of Christians. Christians should go and do that. Mm-hmm. But we don't come and meet on Sunday morning and try to figure out how can we best help people who are hurting. We have that answer. It's called the gospel, and we have to teach it, and we have to preach it, and that's what we have to be doing. Mm-hmm. And we have to instruct our people, our individual Christians in the church, now go out and share the gospel with people. Like, live it out, some people will say. Where, where you're at, where, wherever you are, in your work, whatever, go do this. Uh, and so there is a, a difference there between the role of the church and then individual Christian work. And uh, I, I said in the sermon, you know, I definitely feel the pressure during uh, times of elections and stuff like that. You'll hear from Christians or even like on the church calendar uh, within the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, they'll have like Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. You should be preaching on that today. It's like, well, that, I get it. I mean, I, I get what you're saying and that's a good thing, but like, I don't. I don't know if I necessarily agree that that should be a specific Sunday that you're declaring to all of us we have to be doing. I, I'm supposed to be preaching the gospel every day. I'm supposed to be teaching the word of God. And as I do that faithfully, no doubt, sanctity of human life is going to come up mm-hmm. at some point, i.e. the sermon this mm-hmm. week. <laughs> right? I mean, you see the sanctity of all human life. Even when Paul's day, what was the lowest form? Slavery, slaves. The gospel gives you worth like we've been talking about. That stuff is going to come up, and we have to be... But you can just get so sidetracked on these issues that the church then becomes that. All we focus on is feeding people. All we focus on is helping the homeless. You know, we're doing the, and it's like those are good things that Christians should do, but you're missing the job of the church. And so, like, I guess, I guess a way to think about this just came to my mind. Could, if you push this analogy too far, I'm sure it's going to fall apart. But when you go to a fire station, all these men have a task. Right? They, they all have a task and a role that they're supposed to do when a fire comes. And the fact is, is if everybody goes and they, they go down the pole and they get their clothes on and they jump in the truck, if the driver's like, I don't, I don't want to drive today, I find it to be more important to man the hose. They're not going to go anywhere. The fire's just going to burn and it's, it's like a waste. And it's like, you're the driver. You're supposed to be doing this. Well, the role of the church is the gospel, to share the gospel, and they have to be doing that. Then let the individual Christians man the hose, right? Make sure that the ladder gets put up. Make sure they maybe even know the directions or whatever to the house, whatever it might be. But the job of the church is the gospel, to be sharing that and to not get distracted. And so when the church meets on Sundays or when the church gathers together for Bible study and stuff, it should be a focus on this is the word of of God. This is who you are in Christ. This is what Christ has done for you. Now let it go impact you out there. Mm-hmm. And your illustration about Lloyd-Jones was 
yeah. really good because I mean, he, he, you know, he went through. I mean, what what they went through in in England and in Europe, and he was like, nope. He's like, if somebody wants to join the military and fight for our country, great, but I'm not going to leverage for that. Right. And it was the same way like John Calvin, people would get mad, you know, in Geneva, like how come you're not addressing this, the, the political strife going on in France? All these refugees are pouring in and you're not, and he wouldn't even preach on like certain holidays, you know, he just kept with the text <laughs> one after mm-hmm. the other. And people were like, he's like, that's because that's what the gospel, mm-hmm. it's preaching the word. Yeah. Know? And Lloyd Jones response to that was, you know, our church doesn't need to be recruiting people for the army of, mm-hmm. of Britain or whatever, but we're recruiting people for the Lord's army, yeah. for his kingdom, kingdom right? right? And so his concern was the spiritual concern yes. of these people. Yeah, the bombs are being dropped in our city. Yep. I'm not so concerned about that as I am their eternal salvation. Yeah. And yep. that only the church can do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the role. That's our role here. And so I think it's a good thing to to know and discuss and, and to talk about. And it's definitely relevant, like I said, because it's, it's coming up. You know, midterm elections are or this year, and in a couple of years, we're going to have another presidential election, which is looking like it's going to be a nice, contentious one again, right? That's going to be a, a fight all the way down to the end. And, and, and so we just, as a church, need to remain faithful. That's why I asked our church members to help us as pastors to be held accountable to doing what the role of the, of the church is. And then us, I'd say, holding our membership accountable for them to be doing what they need to be doing as individual Christians, uh, in our in our community and let let it function that way according according to scripture well all right i think we can wrap it up there you guys got anything else no all right well i thank you guys for listening to our midweek discussion as always if you have any questions or anything like that uh, you can let us know uh, by email our email addresses are on the website there's also like an info at mmbconline.org just a, a generic um email that you could send questions to that would that we would end up getting that we we would do our best to address it either here in the midweek discussion or in a podcast or something like that later down the road but feel free to do that well we're going to start entering ephesians uh, 6 beginning in verse 10 but we start to see the the armor of god very familiar passage to a a lot of people especially if you grew up in church as a kid you probably talked about it numerous times Uh, but we'll be going through that together so hopefully you can read ahead do some study on your own. Looking forward to doing that and finishing up Ephesians. So I hope you have a a good rest of the week. We hope, Lord willing, to see you back on Sunday. God bless.